Well, happy Easter. <laughs> it's great to be here with all of you. Uh, if you are a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. So glad that you're here. I know some of you are watching online, and uh, we are glad uh, you are, you're, you're tuned in. And I just want to take a, a, a second just to say, if, if you are a guest with us this morning, uh, our hope is that you can just sit back, just relax. Just enjoy uh, the rest of the service. Just kind of take it in. Um, our hope for you is that you would leave here with, with more joy in your heart, more peace, more hope. We want this to be life-giving uh, to, to you. Who doesn't need some of those things? <laughs> I know I do. And so uh, just sit back and, and, and just enjoy and soak up the, the rest of this service. Uh, some of you are excited to be here today. I know that. I'm excited to celebrate what this day is all about. Others of you, uh, maybe you were, you were dragged here today. Maybe even against your, your will. We, we saw your heel marks out in the parking lot, okay? So, um, <laughs> but I, I want you to know this is a safe place. It's a judgment-free place to be. Uh, we don't care what you wear here at Edinburgh. We're just glad you're wearing something today, all right? And uh, so thank you for, for joining us and being with us as we celebrate what this day is all about. The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Okay? And, and, and so I want to start by asking you a question. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that miracles happen? That through divine intervention, uh, God can do things and does do things that go against the natural, maybe even normal order of things? And I ask you this question because what we're celebrating today depends on a miracle taking place. In fact, we would say it's the greatest miracle that's ever happened. That Jesus died on a Friday, he died on a Roman cross, was crucified, was laid in a grave, and then three days later came back to life and was walking around and talking and eating with people, resurrected from the grave. Uh, even here at Edinburgh Church, um, several weeks ago, uh, someone here at the church went in for surgery on her knee. Uh, the surgery seemed to go well, but her leg wasn't healing the way it was supposed to. And so um, the, the, the surgeon told her, you're going to have to have surgery again because your bone isn't healing the way it should. Uh, she was challenged by the church to come forward for prayer after one of the services came forward. Um, the prayer team prayed for her. I'm just telling you what she told us. She said her leg started shaking. Uh, some people who prayed for her, she got a warm sensation. Other people prayed for her, she got this cold sensation. And she could tell something was happening to her leg. She went in that following week, and they, the surgeon told her he's starting to see healing in, in her leg. She came back and had the prayer team pray for her a couple more weeks. Just this past week, leading up to Easter, the surgeon has now told her she doesn't need surgery after all. <laughs> Miracle? Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll let you decide. You see, this is, this is an important question. Do we believe that miracles happen? Because what we're celebrating today is all about a miracle, the greatest miracle that has ever taken place. And... The reason I bring this up is because Easter can become for some of us nothing more than a tradition. 
Easter can become for some of us nothing more than a time to just spend with family and loved ones. For some of us, Easter is all about, you know, the Easter bunny and, you know, searching for Easter eggs. And don't get me wrong. My family is all about those things. We're going to be hanging out with family this evening, and we're going to be doing the, the Easter egg search with our kids and having fun. Um, but by the way, this is free advice. I don't know who came up with this idea that Easter bunnies lay chocolate eggs. But kids, if, if something that looks like chocolate comes out of a bunny, do not eat it. Okay, that is not chocolate. So that's just a little free advice uh, for all of you. Um, but don't get me wrong. My, my family is going to be doing all these things. But I, as, a, as your pastor who loves you, I'm concerned that Easter has just kind of become this nice thought. It's this thing we dress up for. It's this tradition that we celebrate. And what I want to remind us is that Easter is an historical event that we claim happened in real space, in real time, 2,000 years ago. That a miracle of all miracles took place through divine intervention, and Jesus died, and three days later, came back to life. Now, some of you, you are convinced of this, but maybe some of you this morning are a little skeptical of that, because it is such an incredible claim, and I just want you to know that's okay. You're not alone. In fact, one of the churches that we read about in the Bible was skeptical that the resurrection took place as well. In fact, they had begun to doubt that the physical resurrection actually happened. This was the church of Corinth. And I want you to see what the Apostle Paul says to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So some in the church at Corinth were beginning to doubt the resurrection of Christ. He says, if Christ has not been raised, our, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. So Paul here is saying, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then we're liars. We're giving false testimony. To something that didn't take place if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. And he goes on to say in verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, listen to this, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. In other words, what Paul is saying here is if Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead, we might as well all go home. Because we're just wasting our time. Everything we believe hinges on the resurrection. And if the resurrection didn't take place, then our faith is absolutely useless. This is just wishful thinking. He goes on to say we are to be pitied more than all other men. So this is an important question that Paul wants to get to. Was Jesus really raised from the dead? Again, some of you are convinced of it, and what I want to do is I want to give you some reasons I am convinced that Jesus really was physically raised from the dead, and for some of you it'll strengthen your faith, but maybe some of you are skeptical this morning, and my hope for you is just to get you thinking about this question and to look at some of the evidence that really does seem to suggest 
Jesus was raised from the dead. So I'm just going to give you a few evidences that encourage my faith. Here's the first one. The number of eyewitnesses. One of the reasons I believe Jesus truly was raised from the dead is because of the number of people who saw him raised from the dead. Literally in the hundreds. Again, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you, Church of Corinth, as of first importance. Saying this is the most important thing in your life. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, and then to the twelve, the other disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. So this was just one encounter, one event, where Jesus apparently showed up to over 500 people at one time. And you can only imagine what that encounter must have looked like. Jesus was probably talking with them, probably praying with them. They were probably coming and bowing at his feet and worshiping him. Okay, he was probably praying for them and doing miracles. Some of us forget that Jesus was on earth 40 days after his resurrection, before he ascended to heaven. He says he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the other apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. So what is Paul saying here? Here, Here's here's what Paul's getting to. If you don't believe me, there are literally five, there, there are hundreds of people who have experienced the resurrected Jesus. Go ask them for yourself. If you don't believe my testimony, there are hundreds of people you can go to and ask. It'd kind of be like if you were on a jury and, you know, you're on this court case and you get a witness who says, I saw so-and-so and they were at this place and at this time. You might be a little skeptical hearing one witness because, after all, people get things wrong. People sometimes don't see things correctly. If you get two people saying, no, I saw so-and-so at this place at this time, you'd maybe be a little bit more convinced, but maybe still a little skeptical. But you get five people. You get 10 people. You get 20 people. You get 100 people all saying the same thing. No, we saw Jesus walking around and talking and eating with others. He was raised from the dead. You're going to start to be convinced. This happened. This is what Paul's getting to, and we can then understand, you know, why the, the church was able to grow like wildfire in, in, in a culture of persecution, in the face of persecution, uh, because these people, if they saw that, I mean, think about it. If you saw someone die and come back, are, you're not going to be able to help yourself but tell other people about that. You're going to tell your kids. You're going to tell your grandkids. You're going to tell people you run into at the store, hey, you're not going to believe what happened to me last week. And the church began telling what they had experienced. And in the face of persecution, violent persecution, the church was able to get the momentum it needed to get off the ground. So one of the first reasons I believe in the resurrection is just the number of people that verified that they had seen the risen risen Christ. Okay, then the second reason I would give you is the trustworthiness of the Gospels. The trustworthiness of the Gospels. Luke is one of the Gospel writers, and Luke himself did not experience Jesus resurrected firsthand. He became a believer later in life, but what he did was get an account from all those witnesses, 
about what they said they saw. In fact, he writes this uh, as he opens up his gospel. He says, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. He's writing for this man named Theophilus. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Here's what you need to know about Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was not a guy given to superstition or wishful thinking. He set out to talk to these eyewitnesses and write an account so that Theophilus and us would be certain that the resurrection happened. Um, this is what I find interesting uh, about the Gospels. If I was the, 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 the apostles, the disciples... I would maybe go to the gospel writers like Luke and say, hey, uh, Luke, could we leave out those embarrassing parts? Could we maybe leave out the part, if you're Peter, where I denied Jesus three times at his trial? Don't you think you'd want to leave that out? Hey, Luke, could we maybe leave out the part where Jesus called me Satan? Get behind me, Satan. Uh, Luke, could we maybe leave out the part where, yes, I got out of the boat to walk on water with Jesus, but instantly started to sink and scream like a little girl? Okay, that part's in the Greek. You'd have to read that. In the... <laughs> you think you'd maybe talk to your, to, to your brother Luke and say, can we leave out these stories? Because if, after all, if I'm trying to get credibility for myself and authority so that I can spread this gospel account, wouldn't we want to put ourselves in the best light possible? And what's remarkable is the gospels don't do that. Just says, this is what happened. Telling us about the, 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 the disciples uh, fumbling and stumbling all along the way, before the crucifixion and even after the resurrection. The Bible is so honest with us. It doesn't try to put the disciples in a better light. It just says, this is what happened. And for me, at least, this gives me more confidence in what the gospel writers are telling us because they don't hold anything back. Even if it hurts their case, they want us to know this is how it all went down. But this is probably for me the most convincing reason I believe that the, the resurrection took place. It's because of the persecution of the early church. You might not know this, but all of the disciples will, will die for their faith. Uh, John is the only one that's not... Um, executed, he's um, exiled on the island of Patmos where he will die on this remote island. But the rest of the disciples and others are going to die brutal deaths after standing on trial and being given an opportunity to recant and to deny Jesus. None of them do. They all go on to die for their faith. Some of them are stoned to death. Some of them are beheaded. Some of them are stabbed through with swords. Peter is an interesting case. Peter actually is crucified like Jesus, but the Romans turn him upside down, and so Peter ends up dying a excruciating, painful death upside down 
on a cross. And think about this, friends. You know, you might be willing to tell a lie and go along with a lie to get wealthy, to make some money. You might be willing to, to go along with a lie to get famous. But are you going to go on, on along with a lie and, and, and continue to promulgate a lie when it's going to cost you your life, especially when it's going to mean a painful, brutal death? You would think at this point, one of them at least would be like, whoa, 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 okay, we've taken this thing too far. Not one of them does that. All of them are willing to go to their grave and die in painful deaths after standing on trial and be given an opportunity to deny that the resurrection took place. Probably one of the most interesting cases is actually James. Not James the disciple, but James who has the letter in the New Testament, that James. And did you know that, this, that James who wrote the letter in the New Testament, did you know that that's actually Jesus' little brother who wrote that? Jesus had brothers, and uh, James is Jesus' little brother. I mean, technically half-brother, virgin birth and all that, okay? But James is, is one of Jesus' brothers, and this is what's fascinating about the brothers. When Jesus is doing ministry in the Gospels, his brothers did not believe in him. His brothers mocked him. And wanted him to get in trouble with the religious leaders trying to encourage him to tell everybody who he claimed to be so that he would be mocked by others. In fact, John tells us in John 7, 5, says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Now, let's be somewhat sympathetic towards these brothers. Can you imagine growing up being Jesus' brother? How many times do you think these little brothers heard their mom say, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? I'm sure it was annoying, and I'm sure it was difficult, but what the Bible tells us is that for whatever reason, all of the brothers denied that Jesus was who he claimed he was. Except James is eventually going to go on to become the leader of the church of Jerusalem, He's going to write for us one of the books of the New Testament, and he too is going to die a brutal death. James, after standing on trial and refusing to deny Jesus, is going to be carried to the top of the temple in Jerusalem and is going to be thrown off 15 floors. It's 15 stories. Imagine being thrown off of a, a height of 15 stories. It'd be terrifying. And interestingly, James doesn't die, and so then they end up stoning him to, to death. Why would James, who denied Jesus, be willing to die such a brutal death? Friends, the only thing I can conclude is that he saw his brother crucified on a cross, and three days later, Jesus, his older brother, was walking around, talking, eating, continuing to do his ministry. And if you saw that, it would change you. And it changed all of them. And it should still change us today. We understand what has happened historically. It can change our lives as well. And so with the rest of our time, that's what I want to talk about. What are the implications? If this actually happened, if this is more than just a tradition... What does it mean for our lives today?
just two thoughts. I want to share two thoughts with you. First, it means you can have eternal life. Since Jesus was raised from the dead, it means you can have eternal life. we got to be honest about this, friends. At some point, we're going to face death. Death is a reality. Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Do you really know? If Jesus was raised from the dead, we have an eternal hope. If he wasn't raised from the dead, there is no hope. We don't know. But if Jesus conquered death, so can you. And I don't know about you, but if somebody tells me they're going to die and then come alive again and then actually does it, I'm going to listen to that person. I'm going to listen to that person over anybody else. And no offense, I love you. I'm going to listen to that person over you. That person is going to have a special authority in my life. And I'm going to listen to the promises that person says. In John 3.16, Jesus says this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have what? Eternal life. Friends, God is promising us eternal life through this Jesus who conquered sin and death in our behalf. You know, last year, my family made the stupidest purchase that we've ever made. We bought a bunny. And uh, my kids talked me into it. It was only $10. Super cheap, right? I thought we were getting a deal. Now I understand why they're so cheap. This thing is, is, is a, it, it, it's, it's a nuisance, all right? It, it, it has chewed holes in our carpet. It's, it's chewed chunks of wood out of our furniture. It's chewed through three phone cords. And not like the Android phone cords, which you can get any. The, 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 the Apple iPhone cord. It's, for some reason, loves Apple iPhone cords. I'm pretty sure this bunny is evil. I've concluded it might be possessed, okay? But, but at some point, this bunny got out. One of my kids left the cage open. This bunny gets out, and it's running around. And my kids have been in and out of the house, so the door had been left open. And, and, and we became very concerned. My kids were really distraught that this, this bunny had gotten away. And so, friends, we stopped everything we were doing to hunt down this bunny. My kids were looking outside, looking under trees, looking in the bushes. Uh, Daniela and I were frantically searching the house. Um, eventually, it turned up. It was under uh, one of our beds, hiding in a corner in the shadow where we didn't see it at first. We pulled out this bunny and, and, and then nursed this bunny back to life. But why would we do that? Even though this, this, this bunny has been a real pain, my family loves this bunny. It's part of the family. And we wanted this bunny to be a part of the family. And friends, you need to hear this this morning. That's how God feels about you. He loves you. He created you. He knows everything about you. He knows what he's getting with you. Mistakes. Sin, 
failures, all of it. He's not surprised. And yet he says, I want you. I want to spend eternity with you. And so he sent his own son, Jesus, to be the perfect sacrifice who would take our sin upon himself and die with it so that our sin would be done and dealt with so that you and I could be set free and given the free gift of eternal life. Have you received that gift? It's a free gift. Have you received it? Some of you have a great retirement plan or you're working towards a retirement plan. I would ask you, do you have an eternity plan? Because the day's going to come. Do you know? Do you know where you're going to end up? Do you know where you're going to spend eternity? God's done everything necessary through Jesus Christ, the one who conquered sin, death, the devil, so that you could spend eternity with him. The resurrection validates that we can conquer death through Jesus Christ. But there's one more reason, one more thought I want to share with you. It means God can resurrect your life. Since Jesus was raised from the dead, why couldn't God resurrect your life? Not just future, but resurrect your life today. And I bet some of you come in today and you say, I could use some help in life. Could use a little help. Anybody? For some of us, it's a marriage thing or a family situation or raising our kids, job situation. I don't know what your situation might be, but I bet some of us come in here today and say, I could use a little help. Look at what um, Paul writes in Ephesians 3.20. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. What is this power that can accomplish more than we can ask or imagine? What is this power? Friends, it's resurrection power. It's the same power that rose, raised Jesus from the dead that can accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. And maybe some of you, you've tried religion. Maybe some of you have even tried the church. But I want to ask you, have you ever tried Jesus? Truly. Have you tried Jesus? Have you allowed Jesus to come to your life to see what Jesus might want to do in your life and through your life? Have you let Jesus in? To see what he might do. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And by the way, this was said not in a time of prosperity. This wasn't said in a time of obedience to Israel. This was said in the time of failure. This was said in a time of depression when anxiety was high. Israel had been carried off into captivity and had become slaves in a foreign land, ripped out of the promised land because of their sin. And God shows up and says, if you will invite me back in, I still have good plans for you. Friends, God still has good plans for you as well. 
Many of you know my story. Some of you don't. Um, I have a past with drug addiction. Got caught up in drugs at an early age. Quickly spiraled out of control. I dropped out of high school when I was a sophomore so that I could do drugs. I did a lot of bad things. I hurt a lot of people, including people who really cared for me. I robbed people. I robbed houses so that I could do drugs. Two of the people I did drugs with would eventually die because of drug use. And friends, if there's such a thing as rock bottom, I was 100 feet below it. And one day, I just cried out to Jesus. <laughs> it was the only thing I knew to do. I said, Jesus, I've tried everything else. My life is a wreck. My life is a mess. My life is hopeless. But I'm willing to give you a try. And so I just said, Jesus, come into my life. My life is yours at this point. I have nothing to lose. Take it. Do with it what you want. I'd be lying to you if I said things turned around overnight. They didn't. I wrestled with deep, dark depression for 10 years. But Jesus walked with me every step of the way. He was with me, encouraging me, saying, Brent, hold on. I have good things for your life. And even though I have walked through some deep, dark valleys, I have also stood on some glorious mountaintops like getting to stand here before you this morning and tell you about Jesus. I am a testimony of what a resurrection miracle looks like. And you could tell me Jesus isn't alive today. You could tell me he's not doing miracles today. I'm gonna look at you and say, I am one. He is alive. He is risen. And that is the greatest evidence we can have that this God lives. And if you invite him into your life, I am convinced you too will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Why wouldn't you invite him in? He's so good, friends. Jesus says this in Revelation 3.20, speaking to the church here. He says, here I am. Here I am. Here I am. He's with us today. He's alive today. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. He will do life with you and he will walk with you and he will encourage you. And in time, he will reveal his goodness and his good plan for your life. And so what I want to do is I just want to give you an opportunity for those of you who say, I need a little help today. I could use a resurrection miracle in my life. I want to give you an opportunity to receive that. So I'm just going to ask, would you, just, would you be willing to bow your heads? Bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Because we're not talking about tradition today. We're talking about something that's real. A God who is real, a God who is really alive. 
and wants to come into your life and wants to spend eternity with you and give you the gift of eternal life. And so I just wonder if there's anyone out there, look, everyone's head is bowed. If that's you, just so I as your pastor can know, if you say, I just need this Jesus to come into my life, I'm willing to give him a try. Would you raise your hand? I see you. I see you, sister. Just raise your hand. I see you back there. Anybody else? Just raise your hand so I can see. I see you. I see you, sister. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just pray this in your heart. You don't have to say this out loud. You just pray this. This is between you and God. And if there's faith, if you mean it, this is going to be yours. I'm telling you, something incredible is going to happen in your life. God who loves you is going to enter in. You just say, Jesus, I invite you into my life today. I confess that you are Lord. And I believe that God raised you from the dead. Wash away my sins through your sacrifice so that I can be clean. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. I receive it. Thank you for having a good plan for my life. I receive it. Thank you for the victory I have over sin, over death, over the devil today. I give you my life. Amen. Well, friends, you can look up here. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, something incredible just happened in your life. Church, do you understand if you prayed that prayer, your life just crossed over from death to life. Let's celebrate that. <laughs> Why? Because this Jesus is alive, and we're going to get a chance to worship this living Christ, this living God. We're going to get to tell the world. We're going to get to tell the devil. We're going to get to tell sin. We're going to get to tell death. Hey, Jesus is alive. He's conquered you. He's conquered death. He's conquered sin. He's conquered the world. I am a new creation because my Jesus lives inside of me. Let's let the world know. Friends, can we stand up? Let's worship. Come on. If you're able, let's stand up and let's give our God some glory. Let's let the world hear who our Jesus is.